Hello, and welcome back to the Ireland Football Fans Podcast. I'm Joseph McCarthy of the Irish Abroad website, and I'm joined by Mark Kennedy of Hawkeye Sidekick. We're going to review the Republic of Ireland team's three group games in the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup, currently being held in Australia and New Zealand, and then give us our thoughts on the overall performance by Vera Powell's team. Mark, it's good to talk to you again. Are you enjoying the football? Yeah, all good, Joe. Hope you're keeping well, and the rest of your followers as well. Yeah, it's been been an interesting week and a half, hasn't it, in the FIFA Women's World Cup, and looking forward to chatting in the next 40 minutes. Yeah, never a dull moment in international football. Kick off. So let's, uh, let's start with the first ever World Cup game for the Ireland team. On the opening day of the World Cup, uh, we were facing one of the two hosts, Australia, in Stadium Australia in Sydney. It was a record crowd. The game took place in front of almost 76,000 people, which just showed that the interest in the women's game in Australia, not just for their national side, but you know for the Irish diaspora that have uh, made their home uh, across Australia. The opening exchanges against the hosts, I think it's fair to say they were going very much the way of Australia. Ireland were containing the opposition, who announced that they had lost their talismanic striker, Sam Carr, just before the teams were announced, which I think might have given a bit of a, a mental boost to the Ireland team. Coming up to halftime, we had created a few goal-scoring chances. Overall, I think I was satisfied with that first 45 minutes, Mark. Uh, what did you think? Yeah, I'd agree with you, Joe. I think it was a massive occasion, wasn't it? Even for Australian ladies football, but also for Republic of Ireland women's football. Just think where this team have come think in terms of the equipment the rights issue in terms of the women's game here in Ireland and for you know, ole 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 chance to be ringing around the Sydney Stadium uh, in the opening day of the World Cup I think it was absolutely phenomenal and this could this occasion really at the start could have really overwhelmed an awful lot of the Republic of Ireland women uh, players but to be fair look they stuck to the game plan they were defensively very compact thought Rusha Littlejohn really very good in midfield Kate McCabe was an absolute threat for Australia. Australia were really, really fearing her every time she got the ball. I think overall, Joe, it was a very compact performance. Really, Australia were, I know they were trying to get the ball in behind our back three. But again, there was an awful lot of accuracy issues there from Australia, really trying to struggle with the rhythm, really. So I think we were comfortable enough at half time, to be perfectly honest. I don't really recall Courtney Brosnan having to be really called upon for any real key significant save so I mean it was all to play for nil all at half time I was relatively happy we hadn't conceded the early goal and uh, hopes were high Joe I think going into that second half yeah the feeling was that we could create something some of the corners from Katie McCabe were causing trouble for the Australian defence which I think set a, a precedent for what we, would, what we would see in the next game against Canada and well, I'm not sure that the game was going to finish in a draw. I definitely think we were good value for at least a point until a mistake by Sheva in the 50th minute led to a penalty. Now, we've spoken before about Marissa Sheva, about her, how she's been parachuted into the team, that she didn't play any part in qualification, that we weren't sure if she was up to the standards of top-class international football. I thought she had done okay without being outstanding in the first half, but I think this this mistake, well, it was it was inexperienced at this level. Any footballer, well, as soon as they feel a touch in the box, is going to go down. And Rasso, who impressed me uh, when Australia played France before the tournament started, you know, as soon as she felt that touch in her back, she was always going to go to ground. The penalty that you know Australia scored. Look, it was a great penalty by by Kately, or uh, there could have been two keepers standing where Courtney Brosnan was, and I think it's uh, still would have rocketed into the top corner. Nobody was getting near it. Overall, you know, Ireland came away from that game with uh, with a degree of credit. We only had one shot on target, and we had well, slightly less than forty percent possession, but we weren't overawed by Australia. Um, there was definitely opportunities to come away with a point. And look, it was a mistake by an inexperienced player that cost us at least a point. 
I don't want to say hopes were high, but the feeling was after Canada drew with Nigeria the day after we played Australia that we could go into our, our second fixture in the group and possibly get something against the Olympic champions. To be fair, that second half, I do feel absolutely rotten for Marisa Sheva, really, because to be fair to her, she was given the starting berth, and I really felt if there was a bit of a performance lag, it definitely was in that final third. I think Sinead Farley wasn't really a, an influential figure, as we'd hoped, because Denise Sullivan was being well and truly shackled by the Australian midfield three. Katie McKay being our kind of sole real attacking threat. But I think overall, Sheva and also Carusa, be fair to say, the final third, not a lot of ball wasn't sticking up there. Uh, we were losing an awful lot of possession at a rate of knots. And uh, I think, to be fair, you have to give credit to Australia for the penalty. They had realised that Sheva was really drifting in centrally in the first half and not really picking up runners in behind. So they had been using that ploy a bit in terms of that opening half where that ball was going over the top. You could see exactly Rasso was the chief recipient of that. And to be fair to Sheva, it's a 50-50 call, but the VAR had been called before for Australia in the opening half where they thought they should have gotten a penalty as well. So again, you know you're a co-host. I think you're going to get those marginal calls. But again, Joe, after the goal, I think we responded well. Abby Larkin comes on, really kind of does change the complexion of the game. There was a bit more freedom to Ireland's play because he really needs to push on a little bit. And we look threatening in terms of the wide areas. Again, the Katie McCabe chance right at the end. But I think the last 15-20 minutes, I think, was a precursor here that the shackles were all off now. And just to kind of continue to express themselves in that manner going into that Canadian game. So, I mean, to be fair, I won the loss. I don't think there was a whole lot in that game, Joe, to be perfectly fair. It's just fine margins at this level. You may get away with that in a World Cup qualification campaign, European fixture. You certainly won't get away with that against a top 10 team like Australia. And uh, look, it all really rested on that Canadian game in Perth. So Abby Larkin impressed in her half an hour on the pitch to the point where people were suggesting that the 18-year-old, and we really do need to remember that Abby Larkin is 18, should start the next game against Canada, which... I don't think it was going to happen. Look, I think she showed across the three games what what she can do on the pitch, and I think she's going to have a long and prosperous career for Ireland. But it's a lot to ask an 18-year-old, the youngest player ever to appear for Ireland at a World Cup, to start against the Olympic champions. I thought Abby Clark did exceedingly well, given the circumstances. You know, she is playing domestically, but there was no fear, there was no inhibition from the player. So I think Abby Larkin comes away from that World Cup with an awful lot of uh, credit in the bank. I think she'll be a focal point to this Republic of Ireland team. And who knows, I think maybe a WSL team may look to approach Shamrock Rovers to actually sign Abby Larkin, you know, even during the summer. I think she showed the qualities that is making her stand out for Shamrock Rovers this season. Her pace, her elusiveness on the ball, good distributor, very alert in the final third. So look... I think for Abby Larkin, it's been a great tournament, but I agree with you there, Joe. I think Vera Powell had really focused in on the final third. I mean, she'd set her stall out. Caruso was her striker top. And then literally it was a case of likes of Heather Payne, folks like that really kind of providing some width and having Abby Larkin coming in for 20, 30 minute cameos. So I think to be fair, uh, Tabby Larkin hasn't done anything wrong and kind of comes into the domestic season with Shamrock Rovers now in good form. I think her performances in the World Cup is the kind of thing that will be used to advertise the League of Ireland here. And she's the kind of player that people come to see play. And I would advise anyone to do so because I've, like Mark said, uh, I've got a strong feeling that she will possibly not be long for this league. And it's only really a matter of time before a WSL or one of the bigger teams across Europe snaps her up. Moving on to the second game against Canada. Following a, a flight that's comparable to the distance between Ireland and Poland, we lined out against the Olympic champions Canada, who had a fairly fractured build-up to the World Cup, as we discussed in our last episode. They hadn't played a, a lot of games this year, but that was probably the least of their concerns, given the dispute between the players and the association over a number of issues, key amongst them payments. And the feeling in the build-up was that we could get a, a historic result against a team ranked seventh in the world. 
And after only four minutes, we had our World Cup moment. Katie McCabe had threatened with some of her corners against Australia. And after a chance to release, Carusa ended in a corner for Ireland. She has the honour of scoring the first Olympic goal in the Women's World Cup ever, which is absolutely unbelievable. It's four minutes into the game. We're 1-0 up. Our captain, our best player, has scored a goal for the ages. And for the first half an hour, I felt we were absolutely cruising against Canada, who looked like they didn't know what had hit them, and they certainly didn't know how to respond to it. But as the half drew to an end, there was an improvement in the Canada team. Passing was a bit crisper. They were making inroads into our midfield and into the defence. And in the, the fifth minute of injury time, you know, across from the, the left, was deflected into the net by Megan Connolly. Now, look, one goal has happened, and she had to reach for that ball. I think if she hadn't, Vienne was right behind her, waiting for a tap-in. But it was unfortunate that she was put in that position in the first place, because Megan Connolly isn't really a defender. She usually plays in midfield, and you know, I think the setup that Vera Powell had decided on was that Rusha Littlejohn and Denise O'Sullivan were going to sit deep, which would allow Katie McCabe at left wing-back to roam forward. But this meant playing three at the back. And unfortunately, I think Megan Connolly's inexperience in that position at this level is what cost her. Mark, how were you feeling at half-time against Canada? Yeah, it was a bit of a body blow, wasn't it, just before half-time? But I think for the first 35 minutes, I thought, Anything that did possibly go well did go well for Ireland. I mean, they pressed high. Buchanan was having an absolutely horrendous time with Carusa. I think Carusa's got the feedback in terms of holding that ball up. As the the striker up top, I thought, played exceedingly well. She was well supported by Lucy Quinn. Sinead Farrelly had come into the game as well. There were some lovely touches from Sinead Farrelly as well. And, I mean, the goal on four minutes, we could have been 2-0 up here, Joe. I mean, Carusa has a great chance before Katie McCabe's golden moment here. We were completely on top. Canada, they were lucky they were not two or three nil up or down at that stage. So I think to be fair to Canada, there was no cohesion here at all within the first 20, 30 minutes. You could see likes of Buchanan, uh, Riviere, Lawrence, I mean, they were eliminating Quinn and Grosso out of the game. So really they went four, two, three, one. And Fleming got on the ball a little bit. Hoytema got on the ball a little bit more in that last 10 minutes. And I think it was... I think, unfortunately, here, I think, like Savonia Gorman and Nifahi here, this goal, like making Connolly's OG, yes, but I, I would source where the ball has come from. And there's indecision in the flank here prior to the goal. Look, Pert, my God, it was like a November stormy day in Galway here, to be perfectly honest. I mean, the ball goes in, it zips off the turf, anything can happen. And unfortunately for Megan Connolly here, he went into the back of the net, Courtney Bosner, no chance. But I think going back to your point on the back three, it's clear to me Aoife Mannion here definitely was a bit of a miss here in terms of this World Cup squad. Also Megan Campbell. I think those are two players here that I think would be automatic picks in the squad if they were actually fully fit. Mannion would have filled that role and I think Megan Connolly was wasting that back three, to be perfectly fair. If there's one critique in that back three, I think Megan Connolly would have provided a bit more energy for Ireland, particularly in the middle of the park. We needed a bit more fresh legs in there, particularly against Canada. Uh, but I think it's disappointing that, you know, the likes of a Diane Caldwell, a Clara Reardon particularly, who seemed to impress against Zambia, really didn't get any game minutes here. I just feel we may have missed a trick here, particularly against Canada. I think Megan Connolly is a superb midfielder, great distributor, could have set likes of Caruso and Farley free here. I think there's something to maybe reflect upon uh, post this tournament. But again, one all a half time, it was not deserved really from a Canadian perspective, but they wouldn't have mind going into the changing rooms at half time. Something we haven't mentioned was that in the build-up, we lost one of Vera Powell's starting players in Heather Payne, who would have played on the right-hand side where the, the cross came in from for Connolly's own goal. We started Onyo Garman instead. In the first 30 minutes of the game, it didn't seem that that late change had affected the team at all. But you know, in the last 15 to 20 minutes of that first half, and in the second half, I think that Heather Payne's I suppose, athleticism, conditioning, whatever you want to call it, was definitely missed by the team. Yeah, I think it's a tricky one to recall really here, uh, Joe, because I thought Anya Gorman, like, look, professional that she is, she slots in. I mean, 
for any player to be given the tap on the shoulder to say you're on with 15-20 minutes to go I think for Anya Gorma she did as well as she could given the circumstances but I think to be fair given the conditions given the pressing and the effort that particularly Lucy Quinn was doing here I think there was cohesion issues here particularly in the last 10 minutes of Ireland down that flank so I don't think you can kind of say or Gorman Fahey Quinn but I think collectively I think there was I think Canada had sensed that no header pain in that squad so they're going to pepper ball and they had tried to do that in a number of occasions Gillis as well had a great chance midway through the first half as well when we won a lot from a, across from that position so I think for to be fair to Anya Gorman I think it's a team collective here she did as well as she could you know her distribution was fine but I think to be fair to Canada they really did kind of steady the ship after a very shaky 35 minutes and to be fair to Ireland it's those fine margins again I think you're going to hear this repeatedly from me during this uh, podcast but it's these fine margins it's keeping th- that concentration level high until minute 46 47 because there was a few injury breaks in that opening period as well Joe that we had to contend with and just unfortunately there is a lapse in terms of the cross coming in and again the own goal it's these fine margins unfortunately and look I think that sapped an awful lot of the morale out of the Iron performance and uh, look Canada buoyed by that really started the second half very strong I know hindsight is always twenty twenty, but having said that, if Jamie Finn was available, I think she would have started that game. I know it was probably the hardest decision that Vera Powell had to make when she was selecting the squad, but it did come back to haunt us a little bit against Canada as the game went on. Now, Canada made three substitutions at halftime. Schmidt came on for Grosso, Sinclair came on for Vienne, and Zadorsky came on for Buchanan. And... Canada's experience came to the fore in the second half. They were pinning the Ireland team back into their own half, maybe not creating as many chances as you might expect for the amount of possession that they had. They finished the game with a little over 60% and seven shots on target. So when the goal did come after 53 minutes from Leon, it probably wasn't too unexpected. But when the goal did come, the Ireland team kind of stopped in their tracks a little bit and you could feel that... They didn't know how to come back from this goal. They didn't know what to do next. And in those situations, that's when you look to your manager for leadership. After that goal went in on 53 minutes, we saw Marissa Sheva come on after, just after the goal, followed by Izzy Atkinson, Lily Ag, and Amber Barrett all in 65 minutes. But the substitutions for me did make a, a massive difference, not only to the way we were playing, but obviously to the final result. And uh, in the end... Canada probably did deserve that win. Look at the second goal as well. It's a ball in behind again. Can't really blame Marissa Shaver for that either, can you? I mean, it's. I think teams have really scouted Republic of Ireland seeing can their players get in behind the back three. I think we said it in this podcast that we had genuine concerns in terms of that back three defensive unit, in terms of their pace. And again, that Leon goal is basically that. It's really testing out the pace of the back three and weren't able to read that in time. I mean, from a Canada perspective, it was slightly improved. The weather conditions were horrendous. They go 2-1 up. And really, it's Ireland having to chase a game, put in an awful lot of effort into that first half. I just feel some bodies here were starting to tire. And I think that's the reason why Vera Powell had to basically go for the bench. But you're throwing curveballs here. Izzy Atkinson, you're expecting something here from a player that's really unproven. Abby Art Larkin as well, as we said, only 18. And you're expecting kind of miracles here off these young players. Amber Barrett comes in a little bit before time here, you know, in terms of trying to make an impression. I think we were just a little bit disjointed then in terms of our kind of midfield play. Katie McCabe again driving forward. But again, it's that final third uh, again here. We were struggling really to kind of create any opportunities and that distribution Nothing was really sticking at that stage. And to be fair to Beth Priestman, you know, she took off Buchanan. Buchanan was already on the yellow card. And then, you know, to be honest, they had old heads coming in, like Sinclair here. Sophie Schmidt as well, really, to kind of steady the ship here because it needed it from Canada. I think it was a very shaky performance from Canada in hindsight. I think we've let Canada off on one here. To be honest, the two goals are very avoidable. And, you know, it's another opportunity lost. Uh, I think it's just massively disappointing. You could see the team afterwards in the huddle, the crestfallen. I mean, 
the Odyssey was over at that stage. They knew they couldn't qualify the last 16. Again, competitive, but again, those fine margins again, really. The difference between getting a point, putting it into the final day and not. So, look, disappointing end in Perth. Yeah, unfortunately, if that results, Quintus Ireland's time in the World Cup was over after only two games. Canada's performance in their opening game against Nigeria, just going on the result alone, we thought that, wow, Nigeria must have really stepped up. But having watched some of the highlights, you know, it was very much the opposite. Uh, Canada were lucky to get away with the draw there. And in the first half against Ireland, they looked like a team that hadn't played together much this year, which they haven't. Yeah, I felt like it was a missed opportunity to get at least a second goal in that first half. And after the changes that they made in the second half, we weren't able to respond in kind. You know, they were able to bring on players with 20 years experience and more than 200 caps, whereas uh, Amber Barrett was the most experienced of our players with more than 30. Larkin only has seven. Sheva only five. Atkinson, 21-year-old with five caps. And Liliag only seven before the World Cup. So I think the, the difference in experience really told in that second half. And look, the experience will be counted to the Ireland players in future games. You know, there's going to be a time when the likes of Liliag or Amber Barrett or Abby Larkin are brought on to steady the ship. And they look back on it as the learning experience that it really should be treated as. Well, I suppose, Joe, you just can't buy that experience, can you? Likes of Sinclair or Sixth World Cup, 40 years of age. I mean, just phenomenal athlete and player. You just can't buy that experience. Canada had been there. They didn't panic. And I think that's the key. Look, Ireland were defensively very solid throughout this campaign uh, of the group stage. The work rate, everything beyond reproach. I think it's just the finer things here. Like where other teams, you know, when they had their moments against Ireland, they punished us. We didn't. I mean, we had kind of last 20 minutes against Australia and certainly the first 30, 35 minutes against Canada and Perth. We had the opportunity to really put the foot to the throat of Canada and we didn't do that. And we paid the price. And this is the level of competition now that this Republic of Ireland team are entering now. I mean... I think this is a massive learning curve for everyone involved, management and also the players here. They know they have to evolve. Management have to evolve in terms of being pragmatic, in terms of game plans, but also the players know now that this is the level, this is the standard that's required here to really compete and to now know what else they need to come to to actually get results against these top nations. I think it's uh, it's been a fabulous experience. I know we're obviously disappointed here, Joe. Uh, we'd love to have seen them get to the second round. But I think they have been overall very competitive. They've been a cohesive unit. This group at the start really looked very daunting. And to be fair, they really put their best foot forward. And I mean, against Australia and Canada wasn't good enough. I mean, no, we'll talk about Nigeria in a few minutes. But I think to be fair, hopefully this is the springboard here for the Republic of Ireland. The management, the players that are going to come back in September for Nations League, take the learnings and improve and evolve. I think that's all we expect now going forward here, John. Following another cross-country flight, Ireland went into their final group game against the lowest seeds in the group, Nigeria, knowing that they were already out, and that Nigeria, after drawing with Canada and beating the hosts, Australia in their second game, were almost certainly through to the second round. Heather Payne was restored to the lineup after her recovering from the injury that kept her out against Canada. Watching the game, it had a feeling that it was never going to end in anything other than a draw. I think the the lineup, which was, I suppose you'd call it a three-two-four-one, left uh, Kyra Carusa quite isolated up front. We didn't create too many chances; only one on target uh, across the game. We did have the highest amount of possession in the three games against Nigeria, with just a shade under sixty percent of the ball. But I think the team. Looked defeat. Well, they didn't look defeated, but they looked a bit uninspired. And what's really going to overshadow the performance and possibly the entire World Cup experience for Ireland is Katie McCabe shouting at the manager on the sidelines at on 66 minutes that you know, a change needed to be made, and the fallout for that is going to continue for some time. Emotions always run high during games. I think Vera had mentioned that, but. 
I think some of the other post-game comments on that particular instance could have just been kept in-house here, Joe, to be perfectly honest. Shut down the oxygen on that sort of stuff. I think it's an emotional game. Katie McCabe is an absolute winner and uh, you know, had her voice and her opinion. Obviously, Vera Powell the head coach and management team called the shots in terms of who comes in and who comes out. So I think from that perspective, a bit of disappointment for really. I would also say in terms of the pregame, I think there was an awful lot of tetchy responses here, particularly in terms of Vera Powell being asked about her future with the, with the side as well. I mean, I think that was kind of wrangling here a little bit with the manager, I think, in terms of that post-game press conference. I think it doesn't kind of deflect from the fact here that we evolved in terms of, I know events in Melbourne between Australia and Canada really dictated how Nigeria really, really approached this game. But I think Nigeria really did kind of show why they've qualified for last 16. I think they picked their moments to attack Ireland and I thought they were very bright and inventive and played what was in front of them. And maybe this is a learning for Republic of Ireland going forward. I think I have to admire Nigeria, given the pre-World Cup campaign, all the wrangle over bonuses, Nigerian FA not rowing in the same direction. We talked about Canada there a few minutes ago in the similar boat, but I just thought Nigeria, the fresh approach, they didn't care in terms of reputations of Canada or Australia. They just basically went and played the game, and I think they got the results. And to be fair to Ireland, I mean, look, I thought it was a much more progressive performance, I thought, particularly midfield-wise, we retained possession an awful lot more than we did in the last two games here as well, Joe. So chances were probably at a premium, but I thought Nigeria did really show their physicality, their skill set particularly, and look, their pace-wise, you know, likes of Payne, I thought was very impressive. Kanu as well, Hosho Lala, I'm probably mispronouncing her name. They're f- fabulous players to really play with expression but Denise O'Sullivan also did as well I think it was her best performance in the World Cup campaign I was delighted for her because I know she was well shackled particularly in the middle of the park so the comments the reaction between Katie McCabe and Vera Powell these are these things but I think it shouldn't hopefully deflect from I thought which was quite a competent performance against a very good Nigeria side One comment I saw was that as Ireland's players improve and play for higher profile clubs is that they're going to start demanding the same performances and uh, dedication that they see at club level at international level and you know that's a a story we're familiar with from the men's team as well I hope it doesn't you know the story doesn't become captain versus manager and instead the story is the first appearance by the Ireland women's team at a World Cup I think we should highlight uh, Courtney Brosnan's performance in in the game as well one absolutely Unbelievable save to keep it at nil nil. That's been compared to the the legendary save by Gordon Banks from from Pele in the 1970 World Cup. I genuinely don't know if there's a save of the tournament award, but if there is, then that has to win it because I can't see anything else coming close to it. Brosnan was announced as the player of the match at full time and completely deserved that save. Uh, basically, decided the results. When you consider Courtney Brosnan, remember that infamous Ukraine game in Kiev, the ball going past her with the, the back pass? I mean, the evolution and progression in her performances since then have been nothing short of extraordinary. And I was so delighted for her in terms of she's had a very good season with Everton ladies. And look, that save against Cano in 52 minutes, that's a highlight reel moment there. It really was a phenomenal save. But I thought overall in the tournament provided an awful lot of assurance, an awful lot of leadership back there. And really a great, great campaign for her. Look, her age profile and everything else, she'll be the number one netminder here for some years to come. Look, I think to be perfectly fair, uh, Joe, it's been a great tournament for Courtney Brosnan. And uh, yeah, long may it continue. At 27, she's coming into the prime of her career as a goalkeeper. And we could definitely see her as the number one goalkeeper for Ireland for at least the next five years. You know, with the team currently making their way back to Ireland and a, a public homecoming uh, scheduled for Thursday evening, which will probably be before this episode is published. Mark, what were your overall impressions of the performances across the three games and what does it mean for the team in the near future, I suppose, with the Women's Nations League kicking off in uh, a little under two months? Initial thoughts. Incredibly proud of the players, the management, to get us in a position on the opening day of a World Cup tournament to represent Iran, Levine, 
you know, being sang by all the supporters. The Ireland supporters, again, fabulous. I think short term, I think this should do immense credit for the game in Ireland. I would be very interested to see the grassroots, the pick up, the increase of membership from girls, even ladies football, even junior into senior soccer. I think there may be some switchovers to soccer based on what they've seen in the tournament so far. I think the quality of the tournament, particularly in the group, was very good. So I think from an Ireland perspective, it'll be interesting just to see in terms of our defensive shape here. Diane Caldwell came off for the last seven minutes against Nigeria. Is that signalling the end of the international career of Diane Caldwell? You may kind of look in terms of maybe Nifahi here as well to a certain extent. It'll be interesting just to see if there's any retirements here because the Nations League is coming up ticking fast here. But I think the fact that the team have had an extended period together and really trained and played in very high competitive games can only stand to this team going forward. It'll be very interesting now to see the managerial situation here. I still feel that Vera Powell should be given a contract. You know, there's a review coming up. But I feel overall the team were competitive. I mean, one point out of three, and you could really argue here on the Australian and the Canada game, you know, it was very kind of touch and go in terms of those games. So for me, look, unless there's another outstanding candidate here, I think Vera Powell really deserves another contract to at least the Nations League. I don't know what you're thinking, Joe, in terms of that. I think the managerial side of things really has to get sorted here and addressed pretty soon heading into that Northern Ireland game because, look, it's a local derby game and I think the demand for tickets will be quite significant uh, for that game in September. I don't know what your thoughts in terms of Vera Powell is and whether she should get a, a contract based on this tournament. That game against Northern Ireland is going to be taking place at Aviva Stadium, you know, the first women's international to take place at the national... I don't know if it's okay to call it the National Football and Rugby Stadium. Historically, the FBI have uh, made mistakes by awarding managers extended contracts following qualification, but before a tournament takes place. So in that respect, you have to, if not applaud them, at least respect that they've learned from those mistakes and decided that you know, there would be a review after the tournament and then a decision would be made on Vera Powell's contract. Now, the other side of that is that she could decide to walk away, in which case they have a very short space of time to identify candidates, interview, and then finally appoint a new manager before the opening game of the, the Women's Nations League. We're up playing the North, Hungary and Albania in our group. I think it's a very winnable group. Top in that group, getting qualification to... League A for the next uh, Nations League tournament and with it, uh, a playoff for the European Championships is definitely achievable by this group of players. Whether or not that happens remains to be seen. There was criticism after the first game against Australia that we didn't get forward enough. You could argue that, look, Australia are a better side than us and if we had pushed forward, we could have been caught on the counter, but Australia across the three games didn't really impress me. Even in the win against Canada, it was more that Canada were poor more than Australia were good. Canada uh, themselves, I think across the three games, the only time that they played anyway well was for the 45 minutes of the second half and the last 10 to 15 minutes of the first half against us. And finally in the Nigeria game, I think going out of the tournament after two games, it might have left a bit of a psychological impact on the players. I think the manager definitely was happy with just getting a point from that game. And, you know, that final substitution, bringing on Diane Caldwell in the 95th minute of the game, just to make sure that we come away with at least one point from our first World Cup, that did say to me that, that the manager was happy with a draw. Whether we could have got a win out of the game, I honestly don't know. Nigeria are a lot better than we had expected and it's going to be a great game between themselves and England in the second round. I think like you, Vera Pau probably does deserve to still be in charge of the team for the Nations League. Whether that means that she's just offered a six-month extension to her contract or anything beyond that remains to be seen. I don't think the team needs major surgery, but I do think the age profile needs to be brought down a little bit. We were the second oldest 
a squad at the tournament with a, an average age of 28 and a half years posted the stat that the average age of the team that lined out against Canada, I'm not sure if it's the highest in the history of the women's game in Ireland, but it's certainly the highest for the games that I can find player records for. And again, in, for the games that I can find records for, it was the first time where the team lined out without a single player aged 25 or younger. So there's going to have to be changes there. And I'd be interested to know what Vera Powell would do about that, you know, if she was asked. You only get to play your first World Cup once. I do feel a little disappointed that the team aren't coming back with anything more than just a point. We remember Italian 90 getting to the quarterfinals. We remember USA 94 beating Italy. We remember Japan, South Korea equalising against, against Germany and, you know, taking Spain to penalties. The Ireland women's team are coming back with the moment of Katie McCabe's goal and Courtney Brosnan's save, but without a signature result to stand by. And, you know, I think that's possibly what might cost Vera Powell in the long run. I think the review will be fairly interesting, though, Joe, with the FAI and Vera Powell. I think that'll happen probably in the next week. You know, once the dust settles, I mean, I hope there's a significant number of people going to turn out in Dublin for the homecoming parade. I think that's the least that they deserve. And uh, we'll see after that in terms of the review. I mean, like in fairness to Vera Powell, I'd say she would be demanding at least a European qualification campaign contract, which would be a two-year contract at least, given the body of work that leading into this. But I think if she does get a contract extension, Vera Powell and management have to evolve. They have to be more pragmatic and look to identify more viable final third options. I mean, I felt it very strange, Joe. I don't know about you, in terms of Amber Barrett's game minutes. This was the only player that was scoring international goals in this side. Kira Carusa, Marisa Sheva hadn't scored any goals. I mean, Abby Larkin's an 18-year-old. I felt it was strange only giving Amber Barrett only 37 minutes in a group campaign. One of your most prolific, well, you're probably your prolific striker. I mean, I'm not saying that Amber Barrett would single-handedly affect games, but I think there was too much onus here on the US-based final third. They haven't delivered, Joe, pure and simple. I think we definitely have, like at the end, Kiernan, uh, players like that to come back in. I think from a management perspective, whoever this is, they really do have to identify you know, the players going forward, and I mean, Abby Larkin, we've talked about this podcast, is one of those players that needs to be nurtured and now developed to get onto the big stage. And these Nations League games, I think, would be a, a great opportunity for her to get more of a stake here. Like I said, Lucy Quinn as well had a good cameo against Canada, but so precious little after that. So I think from a management perspective, whoever it is, they, they are going to have to tweak it slightly. I think like of Claire Reardon here, Aoife Mannion coming back into the reckoning here in the back three. Savannah McCarthy as well, with Shamrock Rovers, I really do rate her. You know, she's been beset by injury issues, but I think that is a player that could come back into the reckoning here as well. There is going to be one or two retirements here. I think the guy Diane Cole would substitute here, Joe. I don't think it was anything to do with manager settling for a point. I think this is just recognition of Diane Caldwell. I think this is the end of her international career. I think it was just a cameo to basically acknowledge that, I think. Yeah, to be fair to Vera Powell, FAI, I think they have a bit to discuss in terms of this review. I think just the pragmatism, I think it's the experience really cost them in the end here, both from a managerial perspective in this tournament, but also players-wise, having to really adjust on the fly when you did have likes of Australia, Canada. Canada won the Olympics, remember, not too long ago. Australia were there, you know, they've been to these big tournaments. We haven't. So I think it's to bottle that up in terms of the experience and learn from our mistakes. So, look, immensely proud. There is some probably regret, but again, this was the group that they were pitted against. And to be fair to the, the group, there was a bit of more of a defensive mindset that may have been required here. But overall, they did the country proud, and look, they set a good foundation here for the next evolution of the team, regardless who the manager is and who the players are. The hope here is that this opportunity is not lost and that the team can continue to perform and deliver results, starting with Northern Ireland, as you say, in the Aviva Stadium on the 22nd of September. I have to agree with everything you said there, Mark. I suppose, last thing to look at uh, as we discuss Ireland's performance in the World Cup was um, 
who's your Irish player of the tournament? It's a good question, Joel. I think we've probably hinted at them, uh, to be honest. You've Courtney Brosnan in goal, I would say. I would also give a nod here to maybe Nifahi in the back three. Thought she was tremendous uh, during the campaign. Katie McCabe, obviously, and I think Richard Littlejohn as well. For me, I think I will go for Katie McCabe, uh, primarily just for the goal against Canada. I think it was pretty much an iconic moment in terms of Ireland women's football. I think she was the driving force. She was the player that all the three other group teams feared. And I think her reputation has only elevated from it. I think Katie McCabe, for me, close. Uh, Maybe Courtney Brosnan second for me. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, I'd have Katie McCabe as my player of the tournament with Courtney Brosnan a very close second. I think both players influenced the results more than anyone else on the pitch. Katie McCabe just with her ability, her drive, her fantastic goal, which will go down as one of the moments of the tournament. Courtney Brosnan, I don't think you could blame her for any of the conceded goals and that save in the final game against Nigeria is, uh, as I said, is what decided the result. I do want to give a mention to Rusha Littlejohn as well. Um, I think her performances might have been a little uh, overshadowed by the other two members of the team, but playing in midfield, she was asked of her, she did very well. You know, she's the highest pass completion rate of the squad in the tournament, completing 82% of the 111 passes that she attempted. She actually attempted the third most passes behind Nia Fahey and Men Connolly, and was also third in the list of completed passes, but actually completed a, a higher percentage of both uh, of those other two players. I'm not sure what the future holds for for little John. She's 32 and is a is a free agent now. You'd think that somebody would snap her up before the new season starts. Um, you'd imagine that she will at least play on until the Euros in 2025. And we can look forward now to the the Women's Nations League. Before we end, I suppose that I think you know the player that sacrificed her place really on this uh, team. I think was Megan Connolly. It was an unenvious position for her to come in to that back three against very fierce opposition. I think, to be fair to Megan Connolly here, it's be fair to say that midfield would be her spot. But I think her flexibility, her versatility to get back there and fill that position has to be acknowledged as well. Because it certainly seems as if management didn't trust uh, the defensive options that were there at their disposal. So I think for uh, Connolly here... I know she's out of contract with Brighton, but again, a player who's very talented. We didn't see the full capability of that player as well, but I think you have to acknowledge her contributions as well. She fulfilled the managerial role here to a T, and look, it provides more versatility for Republic of Ireland going forward, so I have to give her a quick acknowledgement here as well. What's your impression of the tournament been overall so far? It's been interesting, Joe. I know we spoke about a week and a half, two weeks ago on the eve of this. This was before the Columbia Ferrari. My God, <laughs> Columbia fairly um, upset the apple cart. My tip, Germany are kind of, not saying on the brink, but I think that Columbia result for me has been one of the standout performances of the tournament. Japan have been very impressive as well. Their demolition of Spain, 4-0, in their group side was very standout. I think it's been good quality. Now, to be fair to us, Joe, we had called that Vietnam... I thought we were very competitive for their first two games, but the last game against the Netherlands, I think just squad depth kind of... There has been a few maybe mismatches in terms of that, but I think, to be fair, it's been interesting. You, you think of USA, we're only inches away from being eliminated this morning in Eden Park against Portugal. So this World Cup, for us, now has become even more wide open because the likes of Canada have been eliminated. Norway don't look to be the force that they once were. So I think for the likes of Sweden, potentially against USA, what a fascinating second round fixture that will be. England coming in now, fresh off the back of the 6-1 win over China. They play Nigeria, who will pose an awful lot of physicality and pace problems for this England side. So, so far, I think it has been an incredible tournament. France, your tip, Joe, that Brazilian win can only inspire confidence in Le Bleu. 
So I think this is a, a tournament that is now more wide open than I think when we spoke about this two weeks ago. I don't know what about you and your thoughts on this. If we look at the teams that have been eliminated, Canada going out so early is definitely a, a shock. I'm sorry to see New Zealand uh, knock out as co-host after the after that opening win against Norway. They didn't really capitalise on it and lost to the Philippines and then uh, were only able to draw with Switzerland, meaning they got eliminated on goal difference. Japan have really impressed, scoring 11 goals in their three games, topping the group ahead of Spain, who are in a little bit of disarray. I felt sorry for Zambia. They've suffered with, between injuries and suspensions to their squad. And we're only to, able to get uh, a single win in their final group game against Costa Rica. England didn't impress in their first two games against Haiti and Denmark, but were able to get wins in both games, which, as we all know, is the, the mark of champions, and then went out and uh, absolutely demolished China 6-1 in the final group game. You know, China would be a power in women's football and out in the first round with only a single win and, and two goals to show for their tournament. The United States as well finished second in their group now and will be, probably be facing Sweden in the second round. Not really impressing in any of their three games. They beat Vietnam 3-0, which we expected. They had to come from behind to get a, a draw with the Netherlands and 0-0 against Portugal in their final game where, when again they didn't impress, where, whereas the group winners, Netherlands, finished the group beating Vietnam 7-0 to top the group and uh, you know, looking really strong. France, as you've said, that game against Brazil, this, which we identified in our preview, decided the group, as far as I'm concerned. They have to play Panama tomorrow morning as we record this, but you would expect them to top Group F, probably ahead of Brazil, who faced Jamaica in their final game. But, you know, Jamaica, the reggae girls could definitely spring a surprise there. And, you know, we could see Brazil going out in the first round. Colombia, you know, the surprise packaging Group H with Caicedo, the 18-year-old cancer survivor, scoring one of the goals of the tournament so far, could be lining out against Brazil or Jamaica in the next round. I'm still sticking with my prediction of France to win it outright. Uh, I think they're probably going to top their group. The squad had its traditional pre-tournament issues earlier in the year, which meant that the the build-up was fairly uneventful. The squad is united now behind the captain and behind the manager, and they just look like an efficient machine. And I'm still backing them to go all the way to the final. Uh, as things stand, they'll be playing Germany in the second round, which could be one of the ties of the last 16. Uh, I know I picked Marta as the top scorer. I think that might have been Park ruling head. Uh, she hasn't been able to find the back of the, the net yet, and it's uh, Japan's Miyazawa that's currently leading on four goals. But still early in the tournament, and we'll see uh, what happens over the next uh, few weeks. Yeah, certainly, Joel. I think particularly with some of these results, particularly Colombia beating Germany, I mean, it's really kind of upset the apple cart here. I mean, as you say, that Germany-France game, second round, dear God, one of the juggernauts is gone in the last 16. I mean, I don't know. I have a sneaky suspicion here that Japan are going fairly deep in this tournament. I think they're a team well-equipped here to kind of go pretty significant here. I mean, they play Norway, who, for me, like we talked about New Zealand here, and I think, to be fair to New Zealand, if they couldn't get a result against the Philippines, no disrespect or no slight on the Philippines, but Philippines were the minnow of that group. They don't deserve to get through. And so it kind of proved here. Norway have gone to the second round by skin of their teeth. I see Japan winning that game all day long. Japan potentially are facing Sweden or United States in a, in a quarter final here, which is going to be interesting. On that side of draw, you have the Swiss against Spain. I still fancy Spain to probably edge it past the Switzerland, but Netherlands and Japan for me look to be the form sides there in that particular pot. Again, England are really dependent, I think, an awful lot now on Lauren James here. She's been outstanding. I think that Chinese performance really did set the tone here. I was very impressed by the possession-based game. They ran China into the ground. They're going to have to do that again against a very mobile and physical Nigeria team who have threats in the final third. Australia-Denmark is going to be an incredible game as well here, Joe. Pernell Harder, I think Denmark gave as good as they got against England. 
I think to be perfectly fair to England, they should beat Nigeria, but I think that's where the journey may end for them, given the opposition they may be kind of facing here in the quarterfinal. I think the outside bet here is probably France or Germany to get through that side. But yeah, look, I think there's going to be an awful lot of incredible games here. And I think given to see how that performance of the United States this morning uh, against Portugal, I think all bets are off. I think any team that plays the United States now will have belief that they can beat the United States. They didn't hit the ground running against Vietnam. Their final third execution was abysmal. And I think it has continued. They were fortunate, I thought, to get a result against the Netherlands. And they were fortunate here against Portugal. So I think, to be perfectly fair, this is a glorious opportunity, if it is Sweden, to knock the United States out in the second round. And if that is the case then, Joe, I think all bets are off. I think you have then five to six teams that saying, we could actually win this. So I think this could be an incredible end to this World Cup if the United States get dumped out in the second round. And it'll be a significant turnaround for the current champions if they do go out in the second round. Uh, it'll mean the current world champions and the current Olympic champions going home before the quarterfinals. But I think it's just showing the evolution of women's football here, uh, Joe. I think it's just showing that the powerhouses that were, the likes of the Norways, the United States and Canada's, are no longer the powerhouses. Japan have had a slump in a few years, but now they're coming back in a vengeance. I think this is great for women's football that there is now teams ready to step to the pl- up to the plate here and compete at the highest level. And I think this is going to be just a fascinating next two to three weeks to see who actually gets to the final. So look all to play for. We live in interesting times, as we always do in football. We hope you've enjoyed our review of the Ireland women's team first appearance at the FIFA Women's World Cup. We're looking forward to the homecoming for the team on Thursday. And, well, I don't want to say I'm looking forward to the review, but I, I suppose I'm looking forward to the, the outcome of the review of uh, the performance of the team across the three games. I would like to see Vera Powell stay in charge for the, the Women's Nations League. I think that she deserves to take the team forward, although historically we know that our Ireland managers uh, have tended to stay on at least one campaign too long, so we wait and see what happens there. I want to thank Mark for joining me on the episode. Uh, you can follow Mark on social media at Hawkeye Sidekick. Pleasure to uh, come on to it. Uh, I've been Joseph McCarthy of uh, the Irish Abroad. You can follow me on Mastodon at uh, Irish underscore abroad and Facebook at uh, Irish Football Statistics. Take care and we'll talk to you soon.